Morning, awesome. Everyone have a good Christmas? Yeah, awesome, okay. Still recovering a little, that's fine. I understand that. We had a fantastic Christmas. Uh, the kids had a great time. They got more toys than children will ever need in their lives, but they have them. Um, we had a very good time. Um, I, I had my first old man moment. I just wanted to share with you guys. I had my first uh, back in my day statement. Um, like I, I think back in my day, the toys came um, assembled. I, I don't know. Like some of them, at least everything my kids had required a drill. Um, I don't. I don't know what I set myself up for. <laughs> like, and and some of them were were needlessly difficult to assemble. Uh, some are still in the box, uh, sitting on the floor. Um, and so we will get to that later this week. But uh, yeah, hope everyone had a great Christmas. If you've not yet met me, my name is Jeff. My beautiful wife Jessica and I, we are the youth pastors here at Grace. Uh, and I get the privilege of serving on the teaching team and bringing a message uh, about once uh, a month. And so before we get started, uh, I want to start off in prayer. And I want to encourage everyone this week um, to be praying uh, for Joanne, for, for sharing Teresa's mom. She goes uh, in for a, a much needed surgery tomorrow. So just keep her in your prayer. Uh, and, and real quick, just join me as we kind of all pray together here for a moment. Father God, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you for everything you're doing, uh, f- you're doing for us and you're doing through us, God. Right now, I lift up um, Sherry and Teresa's mom to you, Joanne, Lord. I just pray that, that your hand would be on her, God, that you would be with her and, and, and the doctors, God, and all present. I, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be there, Father. Um, I pray that you would be in this place with us, Lord. I pray that uh, you would speak through me, Lord, that it would not be my words that are heard, but it would be the, your word that is heard. I pray right now, God, that you would, you would break down walls, you would open up hearts, open up ears, Lord, and let us receive your word today, Father. We love you and we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you guys ever um, forgotten something really important? Never? Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Oof. Feel a little put on the spot now. Uh, I made a mistake. Um, I made a mistake because I was like, I, I really wanted to talk about forgetfulness. And so I was like, I can't think of anything I've forgotten, um, which makes sense. Uh, and so I asked my wife uh, if she had any stories of something I've forgotten. That was my mistake. Um, she had plenty. I stopped her around six or seven. I'm like, that's, that's enough. It's just getting hurtful at this point. Um, and, and she had plenty. Uh, but I, I'll tell you one that happened uh, just a couple weeks ago. So uh, our morning routine, uh, my morning routine is, is usually the same on the days uh, we alternate who takes London to school uh, because neither of us want to be up that early. Um, and we get the privilege of coming in a little bit later than, than most people. Um, so we alternate. But on the days that I take London to school, I, I get up. Um, I, I, I put on a cup of coffee, um, I go and rush my daughter to get ready because she has no sense of urgency, um, and she just takes her, her sweet little time, uh, regardless of how late we're running, um, and I go and rush her and rush her and get her. So a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I did this, I got up, threw on my coffee, went in there with her, um, and I'm like, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go, we're, we, you know, we're already running late, I need you to hurry, I need you to pick this up. Oh, sorry, one sec. Ugh, that, uh, sometimes I set reminders, uh, for my, set alarms for myself so I don't forget things. Um, and I, I was rushing her. I said, hey, come on, we got to go, we got to go, we got to get ready. And on my way out, I go to grab my cup of coffee. It's not there. And I'm like, I know I put on a cup of coffee. I was mistaken. I put on coffee. I forgot the cup. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I just had coffee all over my counter uh, and not in the cup where I needed it. Uh, and, and so it was one of those moments where um, I forgot to possibly put the most important part 
in the coffee pot. I forgot to put a cup to capture the coffee. And, and oftentimes, we become so busy, we have so much to do, that we can become very forgetful. We can, uh, we can become, I mean, now me personally, I'm just a very forgetful person. You can ask anyone who knows me that, that interacts with me daily. I'm very forgetful. Like, I'm the real-life embodiment of Dory, okay? If you ever watch Finding Dory, um, like, that little, that is, that is me to a T. Like, I can be talking about what I'm doing, look over here, look back, and, and I have no idea what was going on. Um, I, I mean, oftentimes, I will stand up, at, I'll stand up just off the couch, and, and Jessica's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And then as soon as you sit down, you realize what it was sometimes. Or, uh, or Jessica will send me, um, possibly sore subject, she'll send me to go do something in the house. And I'll like end up in the refrigerator making a snack because I forgot what I got up for. <laughs> she'll remind me. Um, I, I've like on multiple occasions forgotten a very key ingredient like in, in a recipe. And you always figure that out by taste. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. I, like, I can be very forgetful. Um, in, in what I'm doing. And this kind of goes on, like, like do you guys, you guys uh, most of us here are on Facebook. And so Facebook has these, like, memories where it pops up, like, hey, two years ago you did this. Like, most of the time, I would never remember that that happened if Facebook didn't remind me. Uh, and so it's nice to have that, that reminder that pops back up. And it's like, hey, you did this, or you said this. And you're like, wow, I was dumb. Um, and, and you have that little reminder that you get to refer back to. It's nice to... Um, it's necessary even to set up reminders for yourself. So, so me knowing how forgetful I am, um, I, I, use a, I use a to-do list for nearly everything. If there's something I need to do, I put it in a to-do list. And then if it's really important, um, I set an, an alarm on my phone. Now, that's something my wife taught me, and I'm not as good at it as she is. Um, but I try to set alarms so that they, they come up and they remind me of things, and I'm, I'm immediately alerted um, to those things. And, and so... Uh, I think it's very important that we, we set reminders for ourselves. Um, that we set reminders to remind us of things. Um, we're going to see this today in, in the text, that they essentially set reminders for themselves to remind them of certain things. And, and because my, uh, Jessica has a good theory. This is the last time I'm going to mention her. I'm trying to earn back brownie points for something. Um, but she, she says that she thinks that forgetfulness is directly tied to busyness. Like, you, a lot of times we have so much going on that it's hard for us to remember, like, the important things because your mind is constantly being pulled in a hundred different directions. And us finishing out, like, the Christmas season, I think we've all kind of felt that, that we've been pulled in a hundred different directions, right? You had to do, you had to go to a hundred different stores, buy for, like, a thousand different people, do a hundred different tasks. Like, this season has been crazy. Like, I don't know about y'all, like, Christmas was weird, like, we almost had a cookout, I mean... This season, it doesn't even feel like the end of 2021, but here we are. It came in a whirl, and, and, and we're moving past it. And life gets so busy that we can get so overwhelmed that we kind of miss out on the important things. And I think holidays is a really, uh, really good time to see that. Oh, oh, there's another reminder. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, that was a reminder for me to tell you guys today's sermon title. The sermon title is, turn on the little clicky thing, Jeff. And now the sermon title is Set Reminders. Set Reminders. We're going to talk about setting reminders in your life. But I think the holidays are a, a, great, a great time to, to see priority. Because we can oftentimes get so caught up on the concept of gifts and cooking the perfect meal and, and cleaning the house up just right that we forget to actually engage in relationships. 
And, and we, if we allow busyness to take over, we'll miss out on the important things. And I see the same thing as being true even in our relationship with God, is that we've got to uh, make sure that we take time to focus on God, to remember what God has done and what God has said. We, we need to set reminders for ourselves, put, put reminders in place that remind us how good God is. Because the truth of the matter is there's a million different things that are going wrong at any given time. At, at any point in time, I could stop and ask you, hey, what's going wrong in your life? And you could tell me something. Because there is always going to be chaos. There's always going to be brokenness. There's always going to be pain. There's always going to be these things that are tearing us apart and pulling us away and forcing us to lose hope. And if we lose sight of who God is and how good God is, those things will slowly destroy us. And so we've got to set up things in our life that remind us of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God promised he will do. And so we need to set up reminders for ourselves so we don't lose sight of what God is doing. Because it's really easy to forget about what God did in one area of our life when the other area of our life is, is erupting into chaos, right? It's really easy to, to miss the answered prayer when we're so busy with everything else going on in life. It's, it's really easy to lean on our own understanding when we forget that God has a perfect plan for our lives. And it's really easy to rely on culture and trying to impress other people when we forget how much God already loves us. You see, we need to remember these things. We need to, to set reminders up in our lives so we don't forget how good God is. Now, I say that we're going to be jumping into the fourth chapter of the book of Joshua. So if you guys want extra credit, you can go and flip there. Or the Sky Bible will have it. Um, we're going to be in the fourth chapter of the book of Joshua. Um, actually, completely lied to you. We're going to start in the third chapter. So, you know, flip there first. Um, we're going to be starting there. We're going to see examples of them setting up these reminders um, to remind them of how good God truly is. So before we get in, I want to catch you up real quick. We just had Christmas. We've had a little bit of a break. Uh, maybe you're, you're just now joining us. If you're new here to Grace, we really appreciate you coming. Uh, we are glad that you're here. Uh, one thing about us here at Grace, we're not afraid of the Bible. We, we work our way through the entire Bible. We started this study at the beginning of January 2020. I looked it up. Uh, we started in Genesis 1, and we're now in Joshua 4. So we're in the sixth book of the Bible, and uh, we've worked our way all the way through. We believe that the message of Jesus is throughout the entire Bible entire, and throughout the entire Scripture, and that there is something for us and something for our life in every single verse of the Bible. Um, and so we're walking through it chapter by chapter uh, and studying deep. And so I just want to catch you up real quick. Um, we're, we're reading about the Israelites. They had uh, escaped uh, slavery in Egypt. They were led by their fearless leader, a man named Moses, where they wandered throughout the wilderness for 40 years. Um, we're coming to the point Moses has just died, and his successor has taken his place, a man named uh, Joshua. Uh, now Joshua is, is kind of taking over, and he's now leading the Israelites. And what we're going to be picking up today is he's actually going to be leading the children of Israel into the promised land. So this is a 40-year build-up to this moment when they finally, as a nation, will cross over into the land that God has promised them as a people. This is a really, really big deal. Now, to set up the scene for you, I want us to really think about this visually because we are reading about it, but they lived it. 
this actually happened. They make their way through the wilderness and they come up. They can see the promised land. The problem is there is a giant body of water blocking them from entering into the promises of God. The Jordan River stands before them. It's currently in flood states. It's rapid and moving. You can hear the rush of the water as they approach. You can see an impossible situation for them to get over a million people across this river into the land that God has promised. An impossible situation. I find that God does his best work in impossible situations, right? This reminds me of, a, of another miracle that we've seen with Moses. When they were escaping Egypt, when they were, when they were fleeing from Egypt, the Egyptian army, the, giant, the most massive army in the world, was chasing after them. They found themselves between a rock and a hard place. Before them was the Red Sea, a massive body of water. The only thing standing between them and the promises of God is an impossible situation. But God still does his best work in impossible situations. And so we see God at this moment with Moses split the Red Sea in two and the Israelites walk across on dry ground. We're about to see that same miracle repeated right here at the Jordan River. That they're standing before this giant body of water that is flowing uh, in flood state is what the Bible tells us. And it is moving, it is flooding, and God is going to split it down the middle and they will walk across on dry ground. Now, I think we see a repeat here for two reasons. One, I think that God is telling them that I can do it again. I, I think a lot of times God does something wonderful. God does something incredible. You know, 40 years ago, God split the sea. 40 years ago, God de did a miracle. 30 years ago, God saved my marriage. 20 years ago, God broke me out of this addiction. 10 years ago, God did this. 10 years ago, we're, we're always looking at the past, but we forget that the God that did it then can still do it now. That the God who was powerful then is still powerful now. And if he saved you once, he can do it again. And so we have to know that the God who saved you, that moved, that did the wonderful things, he's still in control. He's still all-powerful. He's still supreme. He's still the same God as before. And if he did it once, he can do it again. Another reason... I think we see this happen, is this was a giant miracle. This was the miracle that defined Moses as the leader of Israel. And so right here we see God selecting and giving Joshua that position as leader. This was one that the Israelites would have talked about. They sang songs about every morning. They sang the song of the river, the song of the sea. I mean, it was a song talking about this miracle where God split the Red Sea and delivered them. That right here we see God repeating this miracle to establish Joshua as his selected leader. And so a couple reasons that God did it, but I think the big one, uh, the big one for me, it just as a reminder into my life, is that, that, that God can do it again. That God can do it again, because I, I think we all the time get, get to talking about what God did. Like how good God was on that time where God saved me on that time that God saved you know my mom or my dad or do this or did that and then we lose sight that the same God that did it then can and will do it again if he was faithful if he was faithful then he's faithful now God has not changed even if the circumstances have God is still good in the midst of every circumstance in the midst of every situation he can do it again all right get your Bibles open uh, let's go Joshua 3. If not, it's on the sky Bible behind me. Verse 12. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one for each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, 
the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. Let's stop there for just a minute. Look at what just happened. So I really like to, to visualize this because I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we don't really understand the, the full magnitude of what's happening. And I think it's one reason like the movies like The Chosen and stuff kind of stand out to us because we get to visually see and experience the emotion of what's happening. So they are standing between the only thing stopping them from getting to the promises of God, what they've been working for, walking for, and wanting for the last 40 years is a massive body of water. Now, in fact, almost at this exact location, uh, in the uh, mid-1800s, there was an expert swimmer that attempted to swim across the, the Jordan um, and was unsuccessful. He was un unable to make it to the other side because of, of the current and, and the width of the river. So this was an impossible situation. And remember, they had men, women, children, elderly. They had the entire nation that had to get to the other side of this river. They walked up to a seemingly hopeless situation. Now, I wonder... That when they walked up, if they, they asked themselves, can God do it again? Or I wonder if they walked up with little faith. But what we see here is God required faith. Notice with me, okay, so we've studied, we've studied in detail the temple. And the central point, the most important part of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this big box with a mercy seat and a lid. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments that God etched with his own hands, the rod of Aaron that budded, and some manna that fell from heaven. It was very, very important. Now what verse 12 tells us, verse 12 tells us that the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the most important artifact they have, those priests... As soon as their feet touch the water, hold up. Raging river. I'm not walking with my most important artifact into the raging river, God. You're going to have to split it, then I'll go. No, 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 no. God said, notice, notice with me for a second. Their feet touch the water before they touch dry ground. Their feet touched the water before they touched dry ground. They had to step into the water in faith that God was going to move. You know, so, so often we don't experience the blessings of God because we're not willing to walk in the direction that God is leading us because we don't know where he's leading us. You know, faith is trusting that God is going to open up the river before he does it. Faith is stepping out when you don't know where God is leading. Faith is saying, I don't know the outcome to this situation, but I know the God who is in control, and God, you are good. Faith is, I'm going to move when I don't know where you're leading. Faith is, I'm going to step where I don't know where my feet are going to land. Faith is, I'm going to, I'm going to take, make the moves. I'm going to answer the questions. I'm going to answer the call, even when I don't know where God is leading me. You see, I think we hold ourselves back when we only say that I'm only going to go where God leads me when I know where he's leading me. Because nowhere in scripture do I see where God gives everybody the entire plan of everything he's going to do. He says move, and the faithful move. And God does incredible things through their movement. I believe that God will change the world through the yeses of his children, but we withhold those yeses because we don't know what they're the answer to. We need to say yes even when we don't have the answers. We need to say yes when we don't know where it's leading. We need to say yes when we don't know the outcome. We need to say yes when we are scared. We need to say yes when we don't have the words. We need to say yes when we don't have the power. We need to say yes when we don't have the strength because it's not on us. 
The Bible tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. He's not relying on your strength. He's relying on your yes. It doesn't matter our own abilities because he's not, we're not the ones doing it. God is. So we need to step even when we don't know where he's leading us to go. We need to, to step out. I just think that's amazing that their feet touched the water before it touched dry ground. They took steps of faith before they knew what God was going to do. It's incredible. We need to have that same kind of faith that we say yes. I always say all the time, Jessica and I, we, we, we say we are incredibly unqualified for the callings that God has on our life. Incredibly, miraculously. Don't know how he does it, but he's good all the time. You know, the only thing that we've done through our, our whole thing is we've said yes, reluctantly at times. Sometimes I led with no, uh, but then God put people in my life that pushed me toward yes, Teresa, um, and, and she's a really difficult lady to say no to. Um, but but we've, we, we've done nothing special. We've just said yes, 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 yes. God, do what you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. And I'm always, I'm always still surprised on what, what God does. And I truly believe that God is calling each and every person here today to a yes. To a yes. And there's a really good chance you don't know where that yes is going to take you. And I know that's scary. I, I know it's, I know how overwhelming it feels to enter into a situation unprepared. But the thing is, you're not entering into it unprepared. You're entering into it with the one who that is, that is in control, that can sustain you. In all situations, in all circumstances, in all difficulties, he is there and he is present and he is with you. And so say yes, and I don't know what that yes is. Maybe for some here today, that yes is to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe your yes is, yes, God, I will follow you. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know how to do it, but yes, I'll, I'll say yes. Maybe it's I'll take that next step into baptism, that I will publicly proclaim to the world that I am a child of God. Maybe it's God, yes, I will serve. Yes, I will give. God, yes, I will go. God, yes, I will, I, will, I will talk about you. Yes, I will share the gospel with somebody. Yes, I will forgive somebody. Yes, God, I will move in the direction you're calling me even when I don't know what the outcome is. Pray about it. Where is God leading you? Where is God asking for your yes? Give it to him and see what he will do through it. Even when you don't know the outcome, see what God will do. Because I find that God does incredible things with our yes. Howard Thurman said it, he said it like this. He says, the power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be a part of God's answer. As soon as their feet touched the water, the flow of the water was cut off and the river stood up like a wall. As soon as they said yes, God worked a miracle. As soon as they moved, God moved. As soon as they, they acted, God acted. I, I truly believe a lot of our blessings are held back by our inability to move. We see, in, we see in Scripture, God always calls people to move. Even the action of being a Christian is active. So many people say, believe in Jesus. Yes, that's part of it, but the, de the demons believe in Jesus. Jesus walks up to every disciple and he tells them to follow me. 
follow me. That's an active step. It's action-oriented. It's I'm actually moving. I'm I'm moving. I'm following. I'm speaking. I'm saying. I'm doing. It's an active thing. Being a Christian is not a passive lifestyle. It's an active lifestyle. Living in faith is moving when I don't know where God is going to lead me. Living a life of faith, living, living as a Christian, is living actively in pursuit of Jesus. And so maybe right now you've been a Christian for, forever, but God is telling you to say yes to actually following him, to following his will, doing what he called you to do, to follow him. Pray about it. Pray about it today. What is your yes? What is God wanting you to say yes to? All right, we'll jump back to the text. Let's, go, let's jump into Joshua 4 now, uh, verse 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take up 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So he has them while the water is split, they go down into the Jordan and they get giant stones and they carry these stones out and they, they make for themselves a monument, a memorial at their campsite. This memorial, the purpose of it is to remind them of what God has done. They set a reminder. They set a reminder to remind them of what God has done. Now, I really think this is because God knew that, hey, when you get to the other side, the, 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 the haze and the, the excitement, the euphoria of this moment of where the sea split and you walk through, this moment will fade away because life is going to hit you again. And, and, and hard times are going to come, and hard seasons are going to come, and you're going to feel anxiety and depression once again, and you're going to face difficult circumstances. And listen, in those times, I want you to remember that I'm the God who split the sea. I want you to remember, I want you to know that I am still good and I am still in control. I'm still all-powerful and I'm still supreme. The enemy may have you convinced that he's going to win, but I've already declared victory over your life. And that's a message for each and every one of us. And this is why I think we need to set reminders, set memorials in our life of what God is going to do, of God's promises and what God has done. And and so one of the reminders that I have in my life, and I'm going to, I'm going to start this off by by saying that we have over 26 different backgrounds in this church. So I know someone disagrees with me and that's fine. I still love you as a brother and sister. Uh, But one of my memorials is, is this right here on my arm. And I know people feel differently about tattoos. Um, and, and that's fine. We can have disagreements about things like that. God is still good and God is still faithful. But this right here serves as a memorial to me. It's a, it's a, a, a reminder of Isaiah 43 and 2 where, it's, where God says, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you go through the fire, you will not be burned, for I am the Lord your God. It serves as a reminder, as my stones that I've stacked up, that in every situation, in every circumstance, in every hard season, in every battle with depression, in every season of burnout and overwhelm, and when I feel like prayers aren't being answered, and when I feel like no one's hearing my voice, and I've messed up so many things, that God is still for me, God is still with me, God is still in control, God is still all-powerful, 
God is still moving. He is my Lord, my God. I will go through waters. The hard times will come. No one is guaranteed an easy life. The hard times will come. The waters will come. You will face fire. That will happen. That is a promise. But the other promise is that he will be with you always. He is your Lord. He is your God. And we need to set up these reminders so that in these seasons, when the enemy is speaking to us, that he's trying to overshadow the goodness of God, we need reminders built up that remind us that God is still good, he's still in control, he's still all-powerful, and the victory is his. He declared it by his blood on the cross that sin and death is defeated once and for all, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is the promises of our God. But guess what? Sometimes life sucks. Sometimes life is really hard. And we're going to lose sight of those promises of God. And we're going to forget about all the incredible things that God has done in our life. And we're going to forget about all the times that God showed up and God helped us and God got us through those situations. Because right now, we don't see any way that we can get through the situation that we're in. The battle before us is too big. The storm around us is too vast. And the enemy right now is winning. And we will lose sight of who God is. So we have got to set up for ourselves reminders of who God is and how good he is. And now I mean this very practically. Set up stones in your front yard. I don't know. Start a prayer journal. And every time you have a prayer request, write it down. And every time you have an answered prayer, write it down. So that one day you can go back when you're praying over something and you don't know how you're going to get through it. You're going to look and say, yo, God was still faithful. God was still faithful. God was still faithful. God still moved. God answered that one. God did that one. God was good. God was just. He was there in the middle. And you're going to know that you can have hope because God has moved before. And if he did it once, he can do it again. Get very practical. Set reminders on your phone. Every night I have a reminder goes off at 10 o'clock because I know that, that life gets crazy. I know that I will, I will forget to spend time with God. I know that I'll forget to pray. I know that I'll forget to open up my Bible. I know that I'll forget to ask God how, how I should handle this situation. And so every night at 10 o'clock I have a reminder comes up and it says, hear from God. Hear from God. Stop. Pray. Read. Listen. Hear from God. Because it, Guys, we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think that life is just going to go perfect and we're going to remember to pray and, and, and go to God with every single situation, every encounter. Be practical. Help yourself out. Set up a reminder to remind yourself to rely on God. And go to God with these things and make sure that in every situation that we are relying actively on God. He's the one with all the answers. He's the one who has, that has already defeated the problems. He's the one who has the perfect plan for our lives. We would be... We would be foolish not to go to him with it. I heard a, I heard a quote this week that, that really uh, uh, challenged me. And it was, uh, a day without prayer is a boast to God. A day without prayer is a boast to God. Meaning, if I go all day and I don't pray, what I just said is, God, I got this. I don't need you. You're good. You're good. You just, you know, chill. Anytime I tackle a problem, a circumstance, and I do it, with, do it without prayer, I'm boasting, saying, I got this. I got this. It's all on me. A day without prayer is a boast to God. Y'all, I love you, but we ain't that good. We have got to rely on Jesus. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every battle, in every difficulty, we need to go to God. 
and surrender those problems at his feet. And say, God, I'm not big enough to handle this, but I know that you are. And I give it up to you. We need to be surrendering to Jesus. All right, verse 6. It says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. These stones serve as a memorial to remind them of what God has done. To tell their children the stories about what God has done. And truly, that is the most important thing that we can do in the lives of our children. Before you teach them anything else... Teach them, as what God, uh, teach them about what God has done in your life. Have you shared the stories with your children about what God has done in your life? Because, listen, I, I know a lot of kids that grow up thinking that their parents are perfect so that when they have a problem, they think they are the problem because they are the ones having problems because their, their parents and their, 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 their uh, grandparents and, and the adults in their life have never taken the time to share the moments where they messed up. And they think that if there's a problem, then I must be the problem. No, 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 we need to share those times where we messed up, where we made a mistake, where we went down the wrong track, where we almost destroyed our family, where we almost destroyed our career, where we made those mistakes in college, but God... We need to share the but God stories. We need to let them know, listen, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I messed up, but God still loved me. God is still faithful. God still saved me. God led me into this season, into this situation. Listen, our best stories will not glorify us. They'll glorify God. A lot of times we'll be the villain in God's best stories. But the story goes, but God is faithful, but God still loved me, but God saved our family, but God saved our finances, but God saved that business venture, but God was still in the midst. And listen, we need to be telling our children how good God is. Before you teach them about college, math, uh, anything else, teach them about how good God is. They need to know it from you. Listen, I, I get to work with teenagers every single week and it is a blessing from God. It is. But no one is more influential in the faith of a child than their parent. No one. You have the entire rest of the week with them. We get like two hours a week. And we do our absolute best, but no one is more influential in their walk with Christ than their parent or their guardian. Show them how good God is. Tell them the stories of where God showed up in your life, where he saved you from this, where he got you out of that, and where he brought you to where you are right now. Let them know how important God is in your life so they'll know how important he needs to be in their life. There's so many kids right now that grow up thinking the most important thing is sports or politics. Lord, heaven forbid. It's not. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everything else. Jesus needs to be the forefront of our, of our families. It needs to be the number one thing talked about in our households. It needs to be the number one thing discussed and studied and sat and prayed about. It's Jesus. We are raising up the next generation. And the numbers are telling us Christianity is slowly dying off. It's not their fault. They're growing up learning or at least seeing and thinking that it's not that big of a deal. 
When, when sports and politics and news and every other extracurricular activity takes place over church, it's only natural they're going to build up their levels of importance based on what we showed them is important. So show your children Jesus and show them how important he is in your life. I said this before, my dad was always really bad about saying, hey, do as I say, not as I do. That is not true in the, my nicest words. That's, 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 it's not true. Children are watching you. They're watching you. And they're going to repeat your actions. They're going to act how you act. They're going to do what you do. They're going to find important what you find important. Are you showing them Jesus is important? It's the most important thing you can do as a parent is introduce your children to Jesus and show them how to follow him by following him. Paul says, follow, follow me as I follow Christ. It's exactly what your children are going to do. They're going to follow you as you follow Christ. Or sports. Or politics. Or alcohol. Or drugs. Or sex. They're going to follow you as you follow whatever you're following. What are you following? Sorry, that wasn't even my notes. Just good, yeah. God, God laying that on me for a moment. Let's jump into verse 9 real quick. This one's going to be quick. This is just something that I, that I found I thought was really interesting. Uh, verse 9, Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. Now, the, uh, the, the first stones we talk about, we preach about a lot. You've probably heard sermons on the other stones. I know when we went to the Ark in, in Kentucky, they have a, a, a monument on the outside for the 12 stones that were stacked up in the camp because those stones were taken from the Jordan, set up at the camp as a memorial for God splitting the Red Sea. Now, there was an additional 12 stones that Joshua set up in the center of the river. Stacked them up, the river went back, covered them up. It really seemed useless. You have 12 stones out of the water, you have 12 stones in the water. And, and from, from the study that I've done, a lot of people believe that they are there to show as a, a contrast between two different lives. Water throughout scripture is used as a picture uh, to, to picture God's judgment and God's wrath. And so what we see here is we see the stones that pass through the water and enter into the promises of God. Then we see some alternative stones that are not taken out of the water, but they remain in the water. Symbolically within the judgment of God. And so we have a contrast between two stones, those that follow Jesus and those that do not, those that pass through God's judgment into God's promises, and those that remain in the world in the judgment of God. And each and every one of us, we have a choice which set of stones we're going to be. Will we remain in the world within the judgment of God, or will we accept Christ and follow him into the promises of God? There are only two choices, and there is only one way. And that is through Jesus. There's a lot of religions and, and, and false ideologies out there that teach if you're a good person, that's enough. That's not true because none are good. All have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We are all messed up. We are all broken. We are all destined to hell except by Jesus' blood we are saved. There is one way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one path to heaven, one path to salvation, and his name is Jesus. There's two options. There's heaven, there's hell, and there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. So often we, uh, 
we get this idea that it would be unloving to correct people, to tell them about Jesus because you're in essence telling them that the way they're living is wrong, false. It's unloving to allow someone to waltz into hell. That's unloving. The most loving thing you can do is approach someone with gentleness and respect, like Peter says, to approach them with gentleness and respect and in love and share the gospel because there's one way to heaven. They're not going to be good enough to get there alone. They're only getting the afterlife of glory if they know Jesus. And so we've got to go out and share Jesus with the world. Christians, we we gotta we gotta step into the water when we don't know where it's in. We gotta step into the hard situations, into uncomfortable situations. We gotta have conversations that we're afraid to have. Why? Because we love people. And we don't want to see people spend eternity in hell. We want to see them experience the joy of heaven, to experience the joy that is in Christ. And so we've got to tell them about Jesus. All right, verse 15. We're going to kind of conclude the chapter here. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law, of the covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. And so Joshua commanded the priests to come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. So imagine this with me for just a moment. In the beginning, that was too far back, uh, a little further ahead, right when they're standing at this river, they step into the river when, the ri- when they step into the river, when the Ark of the Covenant enters into the river, the waters part. I'm just I'm adding a little effect for you there. And, uh, and they, they walk through, millions walk through on dry ground. And then the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant are the very last people to step out of the water. And when they step, when their feet make its way out of the water, whoosh, that's for you, uh, the water comes back in and, and rages and, and splashes. And, and I imagine chaos erupts at this moment. But what we see is a perfect picture of the gospel. What we see is a perfect representation of what Christ did. See, the Ark of the Covenant went down into the water. And what it did is it held back the raging rivers that would destroy the people. It held back the metaphorical judgment of God so that they could pass through into the promises of God. Listen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down to earth. He entered into our brokenness. He entered into our chaos. He entered into this world as a baby born in a manger. And guess what? His life, his death on the cross, his bloodshed served as as the power that held back the judgment of God so that we could pass through into the promises of God. What I love about this is how much work did the Israelites do to earn passage through the Jordan? Did they get out there and like fan the water to the side or did they will the water not to be there? No. They stepped in faith stepped in faith and God did the rest you see what I love about the gospel it's really good news for someone like me is Ephesians 2 8 it says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves thank goodness because I would have messed this up bad 
not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen, it was not their own power that got them passage into the promises of God. It was not their own goodness. It was not their ability to do good deeds. It was not their ability to give. It was not their wealth or their popularity. It was none of those things that got them into the promised land. And hey, listen, just so you know, it's not how good you are that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not you being good enough. It's not for you having it all together. It's not for you breaking every single chain of your own volition. It's not you giving enough or serving enough. It's, it's none of those things. It's by the love of Christ that you have been saved. Nothing else. We couldn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But by the love and the grace of Jesus, we are saved. Again, not because I did anything at all, but because of who God is. And this is wonderful news for you and I because we are all broken and messed up. Our, 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 our phrase here at the church is real people, real church, real God. That means we're real people. Every single one of us, every pastor that steps on this stage, we're real. We're really messed up. We've really made mistakes, but we are saved by a real God who loves us, who redeemed us, and who separ separated us from sin by his blood on the cross. And if you're here today and the yes that you've never said yes to is the yes of accepting Jesus and following him, I got great news because if you're anything like me, about eight years ago, I was messed up. I didn't know anything about God or the Bible. I didn't know any of that. But I said yes to God, and it changed everything. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, Scripture makes it incredibly easy. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you say with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead, that you will be saved. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never given Jesus your yes, I want to give you that opportunity so I want everyone to just bow our heads for just a moment. And in privacy, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, if you feel like God is calling you to say yes to him, to devote your life to him, not that you'll be perfect, because none of us are, but he is, and he really loves us. If you want to make that decision to follow him for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on three. You can put it right back down, and we're just going to pray together as friends. If that's you and you want to make that decision, just raise your hand up in one, two, three. Amen. If that was you, and you're making that decision today, I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. Now, you can say it audibly. You can pray it uh, silently to yourself, to, to Jesus. One of the beautiful promises of God is where two or three are gathered in his name, he is in the midst. And so our prayers are not uttered to empty walls. They are uttered to Jesus himself. And I believe that he is here in this place right now. If that's you and you made that decision to follow Jesus, just speak these words to him. Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I know that you died for me. And I know you rose from the dead. Jesus, today I am yours. I give you my life, I give you my devotion. Today, I turn from my sins and I follow you. Jesus, today I am yours. Amen, and I, I believe that if you prayed that prayer right now, if you prayed that prayer and you lifted those words to Jesus, today you are saved. 
your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can have hope that abounds all understanding because your hope is no longer in this world, it's in Jesus alone. And you can place your hope and trust in him and he is faithful. Now, I just wanna to join together for a moment, just pray together as a, a body of brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for everything you do for us and you do through us. God, right now, I lift up each and every person here, Lord. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. God, that you would be in the midst, Father. I pray um, that you would be with every person here, Lord, that's struggling. I know that each and every one of us has a struggle. Each and every one of us has, has, has had rough seasons, God. And I just pray for your Holy Spirit to give comfort and strength during that time, Lord. And I pray that whatever the yes is, on their hearts today, Lord. Whatever the each and every person, each and every one of our yeses are today, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to say yes and to move. To say yes and to move. And I pray that if there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't understand, doesn't know your love, doesn't know your grace, that they would feel it in overwhelming ways right now, Lord. That they would know that no matter what they're facing in life, that they are loved by you. That they are your child and you are calling them into your presence, Lord. Father, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.